0: What's the most special gift that you've ever been given in your life? Maybe it came at Christmas time. Maybe it came on a special birthday. Or maybe it was a total surprise. It came on a day where you least expected it. I think about a gift that my grandfather gave my oldest daughter several years ago before she even realized what it was. My grandmother passed away in 2009 and our daughter came along in 2010. And we named our daughter for my late grandmother. And a few months after she was born, my grandfather gave Elise, named for the first Elise, a very special gift. It was a single pearl necklace that he had given my grandmother in the early years of their marriage. And when she's old enough, It will belong to her. It will be something that she can wear. Something that I hope will be very special to her. From a woman she never knew, but the woman for whom she is named. A very special gift. I think about my other grandfather. I told this story at his funeral a few weeks ago. For several years, he was the chief of police in Eastridge, Tennessee. Uh, on the outskirts of Chattanooga, and I was told before his funeral that once upon a time, my Pawpaw was trying to pull a guy over in Eastridge because his car did not have a muffler. And the guy sped away, and so my Pawpaw had to chase after him and turned on the lights and the whole nine yards. And he chased after this guy until the universal joint fell out from under the guy's car, and he had to stop. And Pawpaw gave him a ticket for the missing muffler. And then he drove him in his police cruiser to get the part that he needed to fix his car. And then he helped him fix his car. And then when the guy installed a muffler on his car, finally Pawpaw tore up the ticket. He was a generous guy like that. And on this occasion, he gave this man, undeserving in in many ways, several gracious, special gifts. What is the most special gift you've ever been given? I guarantee that whatever it is, whatever gift you are thinking about considering right now, it pales in comparison to the gifts that God offers us through Jesus Christ. Now, I know that God gives us many gifts, both great and small. And as James says, every good and every perfect gift comes from above, comes from God. And we should be on the lookout for those small gifts that sometimes we take for granted and sometimes we don't notice in our everyday life. But this morning, I'm talking about some big gifts that we can enjoy through Jesus Christ. I'm talking about three. We can call them the big three, if you like. The three biggest promises of the gospel. And in these gifts, God wants to transform our past, our present, and our future. And here they are. Number one, forgiveness of sins. God wants to provide for us forgiveness of sins. He wants our past sins to be erased, expunged, and He will consider them, He will remember them no more. And so in God, through Jesus, our pasts can be totally transformed. Because all of our sins leading up to our giving our lives to to Jesus Christ can be erased and will be erased if by faith we confess Jesus as Lord. Secondly, He offers us the Holy Spirit. His presence abiding with us, providing a present life of salvation, and securing and guaranteeing our future life, which leads me to number three, eternal life. The Holy Spirit in the here and now abides with us, and provides a down payment and a guarantee on the life that is to come, our future with God, a never-ending experience in God's presence. These three gifts, forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. Wonderful gifts. And that's putting it too lightly. The greatest gifts that anybody could ever receive. Gifts that transform our past, our present, and our future. But all who want to receive these gifts, And if you're here this morning, you should want to receive these gifts. Because they're the best gifts that anybody could ever be given. But if you want to take hold of these gifts, if you want to receive them, everybody who wants to receive them must pass through the water. Must pass through the water. For Noah and his family his wife, his three sons, and their wives, for them to be saved from the flood, they had to pass through the waters that covered the earth on the ark. To be rescued from the oppressive hand of the Egyptians, the people of Israel had to pass through the waters of the Red Sea which had been miraculously parted for them by the power of God working through His man, Moses. And to be healed from leprosy. You remember Naaman in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings? He was a commander of the Syrian army, but he had leprosy. He was a leper. And God's man, God's prophet, Elisha, said, if you want to be healed, you have to dip in the river Jordan, not once, not twice, but seven times. And Naaman at first was reluctant. He said, can I go to some other river that's a little less muddy and wash myself off in there? And and Elisha says, no, this is the only way. And his advisors talked him into it, and he went and he obeyed God's command. And when he came up after the seventh time of being plunged into that river, he was cleansed. And not only that, what what did the scripture say? His flesh was like the skin of a young child. God's always going above and beyond like that. But for Naaman to be cleansed from his leprosy, he had to pass through the water. And to receive these gifts from God, These wonderful, magnificent, indispensable gifts from God, forgiveness, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the here and now, and the promise of eternal life with God, we must pass through the waters of baptism. As Peter said on the day of Pentecost, after he finished up his sermon, everybody said, men and brothers, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, For the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. There's two of our gifts. And the third, eternal life is shared elsewhere in the Scriptures. Peter says, if you want to enjoy the gifts that God wants to give, you got to pass through the water. You must be baptized. Baptism. What does the word mean? Well, it's from the Greek word, the verb, baptizo which sounds an awful lot like our English word, baptism. And that's because the word was really never fully translated. It just sort of slid over into English, keeping about the same form. But if this word was translated, it would have been translated into words like dip or plunge or immerse. It was a word that meant going fully under the water and coming back up. The idea of sprinkling or pouring were not inherent to this word. And so the first century church, when they heard about baptism, when they read about baptism, for them it would mean a full immersion. And I have referred to these waters here because they're the waters that we have available to us. And I'm going to be very honest with you. In my praying for this sermon, I have prayed that somebody, at least one person who's here today, who has not yet been baptized, will decide before the end of our hour to be baptized. And if you decide, this, these are the waters that you will pass through. But it doesn't have to be these waters up here. I've seen baptisms in swimming pools, in hotel bathtubs and jacuzzis, in creeks and ponds, in lakes and rivers, any type of water will do, and that's because there is no magic in the water. Instead, there's power in the blood of Jesus. And it's activated by our faith and by our willingness to obey what God tells us to do. And all of that combined washes our sins away and provides us with the Holy Spirit and guarantees eternal life with God. There's a short story that was written over 60 years ago called The River. And one of the characters in this story, his name is Bevel Summers, and he's a young preacher, very young, even younger than me. And he appears in the story standing knee deep in a muddy river. And he's calling his listeners to come out into the rushing waters to be baptized. Listen to his preaching. He says, listen to what I got to say, you people. There ain't but one river, and that's the river of life made out of Jesus' blood. That's the river you have to lay your pain in in the river of faith, in the river of life, in the river of love, in the rich red river of Jesus' blood, you people. And in the story, a young boy wades into the water to receive baptism. But before the preacher plunges him beneath the river, he tells him one last thing he says to the boy. You won't be the same again. You'll count. You won't be the same. You'll never be the same again. Your life will be transformed. And you'll count in God's kingdom. You didn't count before, but now you will. You'll be important. You'll matter to God. You'll matter to His cause, to the cause of Christ in His kingdom. You'll count. You know, the folks who first heard the good news of Jesus, some of the earliest listeners of the gospel message they knew they must be baptized in order to receive God's gifts, in order to count in His kingdom. I'm thinking about the Ethiopian. We talked about him recently. A worshiper of God from a nation in East Africa who had been up worshiping in Jerusalem but was on his way home. And God, through an appearance of an angel, sends the early Christian leader, Philip, to rendezvous with him on the road that goes down from Jerusalem all the way south of Egypt to to Ethiopia, where this guy was from. And Philip comes upon his chariot. He's a higher up in the kingdom. He's an official of the queen. And he comes up to his chariot and he hears the Ethiopian reading from the book of Isaiah. And so Philip, prompted by the spirit, goes up to, to the chariot and he says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you grasp it? Are you getting it? And what does the Ethiopian say? How can I get this unless somebody explains it to me? And so he invites Philip into the chariot and the two are riding along. And the scriptures tell us that beginning with the text of Isaiah, Philip shares with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, on this desert road, they encounter a body of water. What is water doing out here in the desert? Well, I don't know if this is a miraculous appearance of water or not, but I wouldn't put it past God. And immediately they they come to this water and the Ethiopian says, look, here's some water. What should keep me from being baptized? Boy, I would love if by the end of this sermon, we had some people in the audience asking the same question. Look, here's water. What should keep me from being baptized? Hopefully the answer is nothing. Because I have faith in Jesus Christ. I know That I'm lost in my sins. I know Jesus is the only one who can heal me. So there should be nothing keeping me, stopping me from going down that aisle. And taking on Jesus in baptism. The Ethiopian says, here's some water. What what should hinder me? Which should tell us that in the presentation of the gospel that Philip makes to the Ethiopian. There was the vital component of baptism presented. Because the Ethiopian knows he can't get in on the promises Without being baptized. So we know Philip covered it well. And he knows that it's an urgent matter. I don't need to wait until the next pond or lake or river. I need to do it right now in this water. And so they get out of the chariot. They go down into the water. And the Ethiopian is baptized. Philip is taken, taken off elsewhere. And this man goes on his way rejoicing. He knew to receive the gifts that God offers. He must be baptized. What about Lydia? Lydia? who lived in the city of Philippi. Paul and Silas passed through there one time on a missionary journey. And on the day of the Sabbath, they take a trip down by the river because they hear there's a gathering of prayer down there, some worshipers of God. And it's mainly women gathered. And there's a woman down there, her name is Lydia, and she's from a nearby city called Thyatira. And she's a seller of purple goods. And Paul and Silas go down there and the scriptures tell us that God opened her heart to receive the message that they were preaching. And the very next verse tells us that not only did she hear about the good news of Christ, but so did her family and they were baptized into Christ at once. Lydia knew from the preaching of Paul and Silas that to be right with the Lord, that to to receive the gifts that he offers, she along with all those who were old enough to have faith in Christ, ought to be baptized, and so they were. A little bit later in this city of Philippi, it was a Roman province, and Paul and Silas, because of their preaching, get into some trouble. They're accused of of stirring people up, of disturbing the peace in the city, and so the authorities throw them in prison. But what are they doing in prison at around midnight? What do the scriptures say? Are they moping? Are they feeling sorry for themselves? No, they're singing and they're praying to God in earshot of all the prisoners and the guard. And lo and behold, there's an earthquake that comes along and it shakes the very foundations of the prison. And all the doors swing open. And the guard, the Philippian jailer, is about to fall on his own sword Because he believes that all the prisoners are going to escape and he'll be blamed. And he'll face far worse if he doesn't kill himself now. But Paul and Silas say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. We're all still here. You have nothing to fear. And they tell him about Jesus because he asks, men, what do I need to do to be saved? He heard them singing. He heard them pray. And so they impart to him and his family the gospel message. And he and his family are baptized into Jesus Christ in order to receive these great gifts that transform our past, our present, and our future. The Ethiopian, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, and many more know that in order to receive the gifts that God has to offer, they must pass through the waters of baptism. Their faith in Jesus leads them to embracing baptism which leads to transformation. What happens to us at baptism is very much like what happens to the beast at the end of the movie Beauty and the Beast. And I know we just talked about this last week, but here I go again. The beast has been grossly disfigured. You remember this part in the movie. Grossly disfigured because of his selfishness, his heartlessness, but at the end, because of his desire to love selflessly and show kindness, He's taken up and he's transformed into the man that he was made to be. Sin has made us disfigured. It has caused us to be distorted images of ourselves. And spiritually speaking, at the end of the movie, the beast is dead. And spiritually speaking, you and I are dead in our sins. But in our baptism, God takes us up and he transforms us into the people that he intends for us to be. And God washes us so thoroughly in the waters of baptism that when we come up out of that water, we don't even have to drag that old, ugly world out with us. We are changed that dramatically, that drastically. And as though baptism isn't significant enough, and hopefully by this part of the lesson, you are seeing the significance, the power of baptism. But as if that weren't enough, Paul comes along in Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, our text this morning, and he says this. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, who's him? Christ, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. You see what he does there? You see what Paul does? He says that our baptism corresponds with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now I want you to think about that. And this is not the first time, the only time, that he's he's covered this ground. Maybe the more famous occurrence is in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, where Paul asks, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so according to Paul in Colossians And in Romans, we receive wonderful gifts from God through Christ in baptism. These gifts we've been talking about, forgiveness, the spirit, eternal life. We receive these gifts through Christ because we identify with Christ in baptism. We literally become one with him in his death and burial and resurrection. So our baptism is a powerful symbol of Christ's experience. It symbolizes what Christ went through at the end of his life. But more than that, it's not just a symbol. We participate in Christ's experience, spiritually speaking. We die to sin. We bury those sins in that watery grave of baptism. And then we rise up to walk in newness of life. We experience spiritually what Christ experienced physically. And what's even more than that, this whole act anticipates what will happen really at Christ's return. Yes, we may die before Jesus returns. And yes, we will be buried. But make no mistake, when Christ returns, we will be raised as He was raised to live with Him forever in the new heaven and earth. So right now, in baptism, we experience spiritually what Christ went through physically. But this act anticipates what we'll experience at the end of time. When our bodies are raised, and when this physical body puts on a spiritual body, and when this mortal body puts on immortality, when we are fitted to live forever in the new heaven and earth with God. All of that and more, God brings about in baptism. that extraordinary all of the gifts that we've talked about are made available to us in this simple beautiful profound symbolic powerful act of baptism it's amazing how god works the line between the church and the world is baptism. And to get from one to the other, you have to go down into the river and come back up. I remember when I passed through the waters from one world to the next, from the, ch- from the world into the church. I remember my born-again day. It was March 31st, 1996 at the Red Bank Church of Christ in Chattanooga. I was 12 years old. It was a decision I had thought about for many weeks. And on a Sunday morning, it was a Sunday morning a lot like this one, I made the decision to come forward, to repent of my sins, to confess faith in Christ and to go down into those waters, to pass through the water. I remember being very nervous. I remember my heart was beating fast. I was shaking. My palms were real sweaty. Of course, most of the time they are sweaty if you've ever shaken my hand out in the lobby. But on this occasion, they were even sweatier. I remember going in the back and nervously getting on the garments, stepping into the warm water. At the baptistry over there, there's these doors, and from the inside, they sound so loud when they start to open. So I jumped From that, I remember my dad was there. He was the one who took my confession, who dipped me down into that water, and who brought me up in newness of life. And at 12 years old, my sins were forgiven. I, as a 12-year-old boy, was given the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a mystery. And yet I believe it to be true. And on that day was afforded to me eternal life with God. That was my born again day. Pretty pretty ordinary. Nothing extremely amazing about it. But in the ordinariness of that day, God worked mightily. Through my faith and my obedience to Him, God powerfully forgave my sins and gave me the Spirit and set me on the path towards eternal life. And He can do the same for you today. March 31st, 1996, the day that God saved me, the day that I received the, the big three, the, the greatest gifts that the gospel affords, this day could be your spiritual birthday. This day, August the 20th, 2017, can be your born-again day. A day that you'll never forget. A day that will rise above the day you got married, the day your kids were born, the day you were born. The most important day of your life could be today if you have not taken on Jesus in baptism. And I hope by now you are saying, as the Ethiopian did, what should stop me? The answer is, if you have faith in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, the answer is nothing. Not one thing. I don't care if you're the shyest person in the world, and this kind of crowd, however many we got here today, scares you to death. It doesn't matter if we had 100,000 people here. The reward is too great and the alternative is too terrible for you to wait one more day, one more minute to come and take on Jesus in baptism. We don't have to get to lunch at any time. I'm not concerned about feeding my belly, and neither should you if we have a bunch of people here who are ready to take on Jesus in baptism. That is infinitely more important than what you got in the crockpot or whether we're going to beat the church down the road to the restaurant. We will take time to witness your birth. Your new birth in Jesus Christ. And so who's going to be the answer to that prayer today that I've prayed? that Someone would come and take on Jesus in baptism. Who's going to receive those gifts that God so freely gives? If only by faith through obedience we come and submit to him in baptism is it going to be you or maybe you're here and you're a baptized believer but you hadn't been living like it and you need the prayers of the saints you need the forgiveness of god going forward you need the encouragement and the support that can only come from coming down this aisle and from receiving the love and the prayers of your church family Do you need that Or do, do you need to be made one with Christ in baptism today? If you do, why don't you come as we stand and sing?